in this sixth session on Ephesians 4, 25 to 29, we finish our focus on verses 26 and 27, which deal with anger. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So what would turn any kind of non-sinful anger into sin would be holding on to the anger. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, as soon as the anger has risen, it may, though often isn't righteous, may be righteous, but often isn't. James warns us the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. The, the New Testament is overwhelmingly given to warning against anger rather than blessing anger. It is a dangerous emotion, and it may be right to have it and dangerous to keep it. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Why? Because that gives place to the devil. It creates an opening for the devil. It gives permission. It gives a field day to the devil to sink his roots of bitterness and destructive grudge-holding deep in our hearts that can destroy us and destroy relationships and destroy churches. So this is serious, and in this session, we're asking, all right, how do I obey the command, do not give place to the devil? Don't let it happen. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't give place to the devil. Those are commands. How shall we obey? So, Father, show us now, and in the showing us from your word, empower us to do it. I pray that there will be people set free, set free from their bondage to the devil because they've held on to unforgiving grudges for so long. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to start the answer to the question how you protect yourself from giving place to the devil by holding on to a grudge, by going to uh, Ephesians 6 again, like we did last time, and noticing this. The whole armor of God includes the shield of faith in all circumstances. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So, similar to giving place to the devil in chapter 4, verse 27, would be letting a flaming dart land in your heart or in the church. How do you let that happen? By failing to extinguish it by faith. All right, so faith is going to be the key here. Believing, I'm going to argue, believing the truth of God, believing the promises of God. Let's go back to these preceding verses where we are to put off the old self and put on the new self. And what characterizes the old self? Desires of deceit. That's the way the devil gets a place in our hearts. He deceives us by tricking us that the desires for revenge the desires for the vindication, my ego and my cause, these desires are so sweet, we cannot stop feeling them. 
when we go to bed at night. We go to bed at night, oh, just desiring so much to have the last word and to find a way to show up the other person and get our cause victorious. And those are deceptive. There's so much ego in those. There's so much lack of love in those that they destroy us. And deceit is the opposite of truth. In the new self, holiness, holiness and righteousness of the truth. So faith embraces and delights in the truth. And that's how we are set free from Satan and how we're kept free from giving him place and how these darts are quenched. So what truth are we talking about? Let's underline the role of truth with regard to defeating the devil from 2 Timothy 2.24-26 before we ask two specific truths or focus on two specific truths we should believe. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently, enduring evil, without getting angry, right? Correcting his opponents with gentleness, kindness, patience, gentleness. These are the opposite of anger. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. So through our kindness and patience and gentleness and our teaching the truth, God will Perhaps he may grant them repentance, and that may be us. That may be me, right? I may need repentance. I may need the gift of repentance. I may need fresh eyes of the heart open so I can know the truth and, and the effect. They may come by the knowledge of the truth through repentance. They may come to their senses. It's like they've been drunk, drunk with anger. That's what happens when the devil takes your heart over. You become senseless, drunk, can't see things straight anymore. You're just consumed with your inebriation of bitterness. Come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. How do you escape from the snare of the devil? Repentance unto the truth by the grace of God, after being captured by him to do his will. So, oh, how crucial it is, how crucial it is to believe the truth. When I say believe, I'm, I don't just mean believe a fact like the devil believes a fact. I mean love the truth, embrace the truth, savor the truth, treasure the truth. This is what the devil cannot do, and he must flee when you resist him in that way. So now here are two truths we should believe in order to send the devil packing out of the place where he has taken. Down at the end in verse 32 of this paragraph in Ephesians 4, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you, that you must believe. Right? God in Christ forgave you. And if he forgave you all the ways that you have offended him and given him a thousand, ten thousand, a million reasons to be angry at you, and he has forgiven you, then 
no accusations stick against you. If somebody, if somebody accuses you of something, you can say, my vindication is from God. My accusations don't, accusations don't stick against me. If they're true, I will repent and I will say, I'm sorry, and I will be restored to you. But any slanderous accusations, they just don't stick. And I don't need to hold a grudge against you. I don't need to be angry. And secondly, not only do no accusations stick, but Christ is our example. God in Christ forgave you. And if God forgave us, then we should forgive one another. He becomes our example as he becomes our atonement. Here's a catch, though, and you all know this because you've experienced it. What if you think somebody has sinned against you and are re- you're ready to forgive them and they don't think they've sinned against you? Here's Colossians 3. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, enduring one another. That's a very remarkable commandment for Christians. Like, endure one another? (laughs) Endure your wife. Endure your husband. Endure the cantankerous church member. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other. Now, if forgiveness happens perfectly, completely, each time there's an offense, this isn't necessary. The reason this is here is because this doesn't always settle the matter. No, how we need to learn that both of these, both of these are crucial for marriage, crucial for community of all kinds. We must be forgiving people, ready to let it go when people apologize and repent. And when you can't work that out, enduring one another. So the first thing to trust is, I have been forgiven. God loves me. God accepts me. Or as it says over here, I am chosen. I am holy. I am beloved. And therefore, I am able in his choosing me, setting me apart as holy, loving me. I'm able to be compassionate, kind, humble, meek, endure, and forgive. And now. What about the voice that rises up in your heart when you have to endure someone who has really hurt you? Maybe there's even been church discipline, and they've never made it right. And you say, going to bed every night, they're getting away with it. This makes me so angry. They're getting away with it. Justice is not being done. What can you do? What can you believe? What truth can you believe so that you don't have to go to bed with that every night and destroy yourself? Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. That's what you must believe. If you are going to have a peaceful heart in this world and never avenge yourselves with people who are not asking for forgiveness, don't believe they've done wrong, know that they've hurt you badly, hate you, 
and they deserve some kind of punishment, they're not getting it. The only way you're going to survive and not become a mean-spirited person is if you believe vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And we are supposed to literally here give place, interesting, to wrath. Let wrath have its place. Don't try to become God. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil. Don't join people in doing bitter, angry, slanderous, evil, but overcome evil with good. That's the way Jesus did it. Look at 1 Peter 2, 21. To this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Christ suffered for you leaving you an example. So he's both your sin bearer and your example for how not to sin, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. How did he do that? What's the example for us? He continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Jesus was able to hang on the cross and believe in a just universe because he knew that accounts would be settled someday by the judge of the universe. And that's what we can believe. You don't have to make justice happen on your behalf. You can model the mercy of God in Christ and believe in a just universe, because vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. If people repent, and you forgive, and they are in Christ, Jesus bears the punishment for them. If they don't repent, and you've done your best to be reconciled, God will see to it that appropriate punishment is given. You don't have to carry this and ruin your life with bitterness.